0: And we're still talking about revolution.
2: Hello and welcome to the Do Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And this is Marissa and Peter. Hi. And Peter's um, busy there doing tech work. Yep. And it's approximately 4.01. And just to give a little bit of an outline about what's coming up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Karina Ford. Um, shortly, Karina Ford is a migration lawyer for the Tamil family and we'll be discussing with her, um, as far as possible, looking at Priya and Nades and their Australian-born girls and getting an update from her, um, they may be currently facing forced deportation and there's been a number of court cases in regards to that. Um, and I'm just going to quickly read out... Um, a bio for Karina, just so that people are aware. Karina Ford is recognised as one of Australia's pre-eminent migration lawyers. She is a practising lawyer and an accredited immigration and administrative law specialist. She is a member of numerous legal boards and was the vice chair of the Migration Law Committee of the Law Council of Australia between April 2000 17 and April 2019. Karina is a regular contributor to submissions about bills in this area for the Law Institute of Victoria and Law Council of Australia and has appeared before numerous Australian Senate committees. So in regards to the Tamil family, there have been many, many petitions um, ha- signed by the... the Queensland, uh, Queensland in Queensland for people from people in Queensland and they've been dragged against their will by border force officials um, here there and everywhere basically and lots of protest about it so we'll be speaking with her shortly then after that we will speak with Madeline from NITV about the inquest of auntie tanya day in december t- 2017 55 year old yorta yorta grandmother tanya day was arrested for public drunkenness in castlemaine 17 days later, she died from a traumatic brain injury, suffered when she fell in a police cell. It was more than three decades ago that the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody exposed the often substandard treatment of Indigenous people in the justice system. And then, lastly, last but not least, we'll speak with Mary Ann McKay. It was a pe- an interview prepared by Peter, and Mary will talk about an Aboriginal mother that was recently shot in Western Australia.
0: Mm.
2: So without any further ado, let's now speak with Karina Ford. Hello, afternoon. Good afternoon, Karina. Welcome to the program. Thank you. It's lovely to have you. Now, I'm wondering, Karina, um, if you could talk a little bit about the Tamil family and just give us some background.
3: So they were arrived by boat um, separately, the parents, so they didn't actually know each other until they arrived and met later in Australia. They then applied for separate applications so um, the applicant's father applied for an application that did go through the process of going all the way to the High Court and then the mother and the oldest daughter then applied for a Chev application that also went through the IAA and then to the High Court. So the case in front of the courts at the minute relates to the youngest daughter who was not included in either of her parents' application.
2: Thank you so much for clarifying that, Karina. So, so how does it stand for the moment?
3: At the minute, so we, as most people are aware, um, about two weeks ago, the Department of Home Affairs or Border Force went to remove the whole family um, back to Sri Lanka, and we managed to obtain an urgent injunction to stop that removal. Then what happened is we then needed to show the court that we had a case that was worth um, listening to by the court as to whether there was a potential error made in relation to the removal process. So last Thursday's decision in relation to the interlocutory application was that we do have a case to be put forward, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to win that case, but at least there's enough there to establish that the matter should be listed for a final hearing. So that's where we're up to at this point in time.
2: Karina, it's very much appreciated that you've told us this because we do have a listenership in prison uh, and often they don't have access to all the papers.
3: Right, yep. So that's good. So, yeah, I mean, that's sort of, you know, a summary from there, and then what will happen is it will be listed for a further hearing, and that date has not yet been determined.
2: And what's the general feeling from the Tamil family? I believe they're at Christmas Island.
3: Look, they're relieved about Thursday's results, but one of the, I guess, um, distressing issues is that they remain at Christmas Island. Um, They are the only detainees currently at Christmas Island. As um, your listeners may or may not be aware, Christmas Island was actually closed um, prior to the election and can be reopened and was reopened specifically for them to be placed in it.
2: So opened up specifically for the family?
3: Yeah, so Christmas Island has three different types of detention. It has um, a more sort of similar to, say, Villawood or... Broadmeadows, Mitre, and then it also has what's known as alternate detention, which is where they used to place families and other um, detainees when it was being used, and they're at one of those um, facilities. So it's still a detention centre. Um, You don't have freedom to just move around and mix with the community, and it is surrounded by guards, So, and let alone... um, Obviously, it's very isolating just given the proximity of Christmas Island to the rest of the mainland of Australia.
2: And as a, as a, a lawyer, as a, as a helper of, um, of refugees in your work, what do you think are some of the main issues regarding prolonged detention and regarding in regards to health?
3: I, I mean... Through my experience, not only with this case but with yeah. many cases where people have been in detention, it it has two impacts. It can have both a physical health impact, um, particularly in certain circumstances where they're young. Or old, or alternatively, they um, have pre-existing injuries, or have injuries occur within the detention system. But the other thing is the mental health impact. There is no doubt that the longer someone spends in detention, that it has a greater um, deterioration on their mental health.
2: Absolutely, and I'm aware. Also, I realise that we do need to be careful about discussing legal strategy. However. You know, are you able to to say, um, Karina, if what is the Tamil family on a visa at all, or is it just that they've been given a stay until the hearing happens? How does that work?
3: Yeah, currently they do not hold a visa, which is why they are detained. There would be the option for them to be considered for a visa, um, like many others in this circumstance are. But unfortunately, at this stage, because they do not hold a visa, they have been detained. And that is required under the Act. It's just that there is that option open there to consider them for a grant.
2: So at the moment, just to clarify, so they're waiting, the family are now waiting for another court date to work out whether they can or cannot stay in Australia?
3: Yeah, just remembering it does very much relate to one child, the current application. Okay,
2: so one child because she's Australian born, correct?
3: It's not really just relating to her. It's actually, I mean that's one element but that's not really what the court case is about. It's about the fact that she has not had the um, protection visa process undertaken in relation to her and it's our view that that is required to be done um, in accordance with the Migration Act. So Generally speaking, the department doesn't split families, so which we hope does not occur in this case, and that is why the family unit remains together.
2: Okay. Well, well that's, that's good to hear, isn't it, that, that the family hasn't been split?
3: Yes, yeah. Well, it'd be pretty detrimental to all those involved if that was to occur, to occur let alone I think one thing that's quite unusual about this case Um, is the sheer amount of media attention and support it actually has had from the Australian community. I fully appreciate not everyone's support that I've heard that, but I would actually say that overwhelmingly the support has been positive in relation to the family, Um, maybe because there's children involved, but also maybe giving people a, a better understanding of what the current process is for people who do arrive by boat and that it is drawn out, and there are a lot of um, grey issues with it. It's just
2: not a black and white matter. I have often asked, actually, a few refugee advocates about this, and I've never really asked someone in the legal profession this particular question, and you don't need to answer it. You know, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But I'm wondering, what is the situation when you hear things that the coalition government says about people not being recognised as refugees when they come by boat. Is this applicable to the Tamil family?
3: I mean, the Minister's position on this is that they have not... ..that the parents have not been recognised as refugees and therefore they should be removed. Our position is, well, firstly, that the oldest the youngest child hasn't been assessed at all as to whether she is a refugee, and that should occur. And the second part of it is that their circumstances have actually changed a lot since they arrived. In particular, the exposure of of the media attention puts them into a different category. Um, I'd also add to that, too, that the Minister has a power to consider applications that fall outside the... Um, whether or not someone is a refugee, and that's called the public interest power. And this is a public interest power, and I have mentioned before on other um, media that it's not a national interest power. And so, therefore, you can have other cases that fall within it. For example, you know, it might be of a humanitarian nature, a compelling reason nature, um you know, Australian support nature. It's not limited to just looking at whether or not someone is a refugee or not. So it it's it's again that sort of there's a lot of um elements to determining it. But in particular with the child we would say she has not even had that benefit of having had her application assessed as to whether she is a refugee or not.
2: Karina, thank you so much for coming onto the program. It's been lovely having you. Do you have any final comments to make before we finish?
3: No, that's um, all, and thank you very much for having me on.
2: Yeah, basically we invited you onto the show because we focus particularly on people that have been deprived of a voice and we felt that it was important to, to get the information um, from, from the lawyer of the Tamil family. Great.
0: Thank you thank very you. much.
2: Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Right.
2: Bye. And that was Karina Ford, migration lawyer, speaking about the Tamil family, and let's hope that the family is not deported and that they are able to stay um, in Australia. It's approximately 4.13, and we may be speaking hopefully with Madeline from NITV, but in the meantime, Peter, did you want to put some music on maybe?
4: Yeah, sure. This is uh, Mayor Dyson with um, Lonely beautiful
1: One, two, three.
2: Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between Queer Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Do Time show. Just a quick announcement to listeners that Madeline is ill from NITV and she is unable to make the interview today. However, we will be doing some extensive coverage, Peter and I will be doing some extensive coverage about the Tanya Day inquest as the weeks go by, in particular about police investigating police. Now, Peter's now going to bring you an interview with Marianne McKay, Aboriginal activist from WA, in regards to an Aboriginal mother being shot in Western Australia.
4: Lawyer says... Systems and protocols need to be investigated following the shooting of Aboriginal mother in Western Australia on the, on the line we have Marianne McKay, Aboriginal activist from WA, who's a regular guest on, doing to, on the Doing Time show. Hello, how are you, Marianne?
5: Yeah, good, brother. How are you? Hello, everybody.
4: Um, so welcome to the program. Could you tell us what land you're from?
5: Well, I'm a Nyunga woman yoga from the southwest of WA.
4: Yep. Uh, from limited media reports, can you briefly tell us, uh, listeners, what happened with the shooting of this Aboriginal woman? And we also know another woman, Miss Dew, died in custody recently as well
5: yeah well, um, what they've said because there's a lot of conflict surrounding um the actual facts of of the incident
4: yeah.
5: um what they've said is that um there was a Aboriginal woman um holding a knife and police the only way that they thought that they could disarm her was to shoot her um and tragically she lost her life um, you know she was rushed to hospital um where she passed away, and it um What's really tragic about the whole thing is that we've got a number of incidences right around the country involving non-Aboriginal people, mm. you know, wielding knives, um, and they were, you know, disarmed by the officers or by the public, as we saw in Sydney. And so what we're, you know, just struggling to come to terms with is the fact that there's so much police brutality in this country that it seems that the police can pretty much treat our people the way that they want, Um, you know, it doesn't matter what the facts surrounding the case are, they will just come in and, you know, just become trigger-happy officers. And it's really disgusting, in my view, that you can have a number of police officers, because reports say there were six to eight officers, Uh um, with one lady um, with a knife. And, you know, it's my understanding um, that, you know, police are trained in restraint. So for a number of officers, you know, to not be able to... Disarm someone with a knife, whether it's a man, woman, child. um I just don't understand that at all because under you know you've got all of these rednecks you know um commenting on all these posts with the most nasty, hateful comments, really? which is really upsetting. yeah, it's I've been um doing a whole file of screenshots, and the mm. file is so large I had to send it through Google Drive, you know. Jeez. um and so basically in under the criminal law in WA, If we, as, um, you know, people in society, if we shoot someone coming at us with a knife and we claim self-defense, well, we can't do that because a gun is a lethal weapon, whereas a knife can just cause harm. It's not considered a lethal weapon. So we can't claim self-defense, they call it, um, where it's disproportionate you know, to the threat. Mm. So if if we can't claim self-defence as a person in society, I don't understand how the police, if that's what it gets to, can claim that the officer was defending himself because we can't do that as people in society. So the police officer shouldn't be allowed to do that either. Yeah. Yeah, like it's just the whole situation is just that upsetting, you know, and especially for the family. But as Aboriginal people from the outside looking in, you know, we're all just sick of it. We're sick of the yep. police treating our people the way that they want and getting away with it and having internal investigations where we know it leads to nothing. Yep. They need a total independent authority that is totally independent of police and government to look at these situations, you know? It's, it's just that upsetting, brother, you know? It's just another tragic loss for our people, and especially Yammergy mob. you know?
4: Yeah, so they, they should have, like, bloody... Now, these days, they're supposed to have camera... Um, footage on their on their uniforms, aren't they?
5: Well, that's right. And at the moment, as it stands, the Geraldton officers don't have these cameras on their vests. What? And I don't understand why when it was supposed to be rolled out a long time ago. Yeah. So if that's not the case, they had a number of police cars. So where are the dash cams? Where's the footage from that? Mm. You know, like the police aren't, aren't, you know, talking about the fact that their cars would have been equipped with dash cams. So where's that evidence to put out? You yeah. know, and everything always rolls back to, oh, it's under investigation. We can't talk about it. We can't do this. We can't release that. And it's like, well, that's not good enough. You know, we've got a mother grieving for her daughter. We've got a son who's got no mother anymore. All yeah. because a rookie cop with his, with his officer mates couldn't disarm a small Aboriginal woman with a knife. You know, like, it's like, come on, man, like, this is just getting ridiculous. They don't care about our people in this country, and that's why they can do things like this and just not have a conscience.
4: Yeah. So the Aboriginal Royal Commission into Deaths in Custody has failed Aboriginal people. Can you explain how?
5: Well, you look at the 339 recommendations that was put up, you know. Now, we're talking about something that was decades ago, and only a number of those recommendations have been implemented, Whereas Mm. if they would have implemented, you know, those recommendations, you know, maybe we wouldn't be standing where we are today because death in custody, you got people dying constantly. You know, it's a constant thing. And they're not really working with our people to make things better, you know, in a setting. And so you've got people still getting locked up for fines, like Miss Jew, rest in peace, you know. And it's still happening, like people are still being locked up for fines, you know. And so... You've got non-government non, non um, organisations, you know, like the a Sister Girl, that's going around, you know, sisters inside and paying for women's fines so that they can be released. And, you know, that, this shouldn't be happening.
0: No.
5: You know, like, people should not be locked up for minor offences. And in my view, if the majority of offences that our people are in jail for are drug and alcohol-related offences that stem back to the invasion where they should be, you know, the intergenerational trauma that exists as a result of that, they should have rehabilitation centres for our people. They shouldn't be locked up. There should be healing centres and they should have a cultural focus where our people are in charge of the whole situation, the whole running of it, you know, ownership, control, implementation, you know, the the development of it. If they let us have our right to self-determination, like Resolution 2625 of the United Nations in Um, 1972 that Australia signed off on well maybe we wouldn't be here today where we are because we know what our people need and what we can do to heal our people the government don't know that because they don't walk with our trauma you know it's just not fair and I'm just I'm sick of seeing my people die every day Mm. and it's so upsetting that we got so many children you know, that are losing their parents to a system that is just entrenched in racism and doesn't want to help our people in any way, shape or form. It's just all tokenism.
4: Yeah, yeah, me and and I went to um, Miss Day's, um, you know, um, coroner's um, court there and it was just like, you know, um, the police laughing and it was just really terrible.
5: Yeah, the police don't care. Mm. You know, it's, they honestly do not care. The system honestly doesn't care. Otherwise, we wouldn't be where we are today. The amount of money that the government throws around, you know, and makes non-Aboriginal society think that they're giving to our people, it does nothing if proper developments of programs aren't put in place. And if our people aren't at the top, you know, constructing all of this, well, then it's just a waste of time and money. You know, it needs to be us. It needs to be us leading the way you know, for our people, and it needs to be us organising all of this because how can you have someone who doesn't have the passion for the situation deal with something? They don't care. It's just tick a box, yeah, we got our KPIs, Yup, where's the next round of funding? Like, mm. they honestly don't care.
4: Yes, yeah, so job.
5: And me. it's just, well, it's at that point where I fear for my children, yeah. You know, like, we do the best as we can as as parents, you know, to raise our kids properly and make sure they're safe and provide for them. But what's going to happen when my kids are older and out there in the environment where I can't protect them as mother? Mm. You know, it's not fair. Like, it's not fair at all. And this is our country. These are our lands, And we're forced to be downtrodden and oppressed time and time again because they won't put funding in places that our elders and our leaders tell them to. They're just not listening to us.
4: Yep. Oh, Marianne, is there any other final comments like um, I know you're busy at the moment
5: Oh that's alright, it's a weekend with the kids look <laughs> um, you know I just want to send my my deepest condolences to the Yamiji mob, you know, and just let them know that there's support right around the country from all our mob you know, everybody's just, just throwing their support out and I think that, you know, the, the government really need to step up and there needs to be positive meetings put together with all the Yamagee mob and also all black fellows around Australia, you know, with government. And we need yeah. to have the elders and the leaders from those communities at the table, not the ones that sit in government that will speak with the government's tongue. You yeah. know, these need to be culturally mandated people from each of the communities that they're speaking to. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and um, I just want to remind everyone too, you know, that the, john pat memorial day there we're having that tomorrow sunday so by the time um this program will air we would have already had that event but yeah. you know it's just that ever since you know that young man um was tragically killed by the police in Roburn, there's been no successful prosecutions for deaths in custody and i think that the rest of australia you know they need to look at the facts surrounding all of these cases and ask themselves why why is this happening you know, because if they're not going to listen to us as Aboriginal people speak, they need to look to the facts themselves.
4: Yeah, nothing's been implemented from the Royal Commission either. Like, what, that's John, John Pat, um, that started that, didn't it? And then nothing's happened. Yeah. Really happen.
5: yep, yeah, not, not, we're still basically where we were when the Royal Commission was held. And, you know, our elders back then and our people and leaders back then fought really hard for that Royal Commission. And it's like it's just another report that's been filed away, used for toilet paper in the government's, you know, yeah. house there. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, thanks, yeah. Thanks very much. Um, well, thanks for um, yeah, giving us your time.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, no worries.
4: Uh, and that was Marianne McKay from um, Western Australia, a very strong Aboriginal woman.
2: And you're back with the Do and Time show. So yeah, you just heard, as Peter said, you just heard a pre-recorded interview with Marianne McKay, who I really miss actually. We've done some fantastic work with her and in fact, she Marianne came in last year, I believe, during the Sustainability Conference. So we're going to be reading out a few things now and um, looking at some material in regards to the trees presently. But... Peter and I were just discussing off air about looking at John Pat. So I'm going to read out quickly a communique um, produced by the Indigenous Social Justice Association, Melbourne. Remember John Pat who died in Roebourne, WA on 28th September and the anniversary is coming up this weekend, I believe. 1983, 36 years ago, remember all victims of state sanctions genocide in so-called Australia – The genocide has never stopped. There have been more than four hundred twelve further Aboriginal deaths in custody since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody handed down its findings nearly three decades ago. Sixteen year old John Pat died after a fight erupted between drunken off duty policemen and local Aboriginal people. Young John was merely passing by when he was drawn into the melee by police. John was arrested and on arrival at Robourne Police Station was dragged feet first from the police wagon, his head hitting the concrete with great force. He later died of severe head injuries and his death sparked national protests which led to the charging of some of the officers involved. Surprise, surprise, they were later acquitted. In New South Wales, the family of um, Eddie Murray and Aboriginal people in general were still reeling from Eddie's killing in Weewa police cells. The Murray family persisted in their fight for justice and eventually a coronial report stated that Eddie was killed by personal persons unknown, although given that he was in custody at Weewa police station, it is not too difficult just to to see just who had killed him. The killing of John Pack caused national protests that lasted for many years the Murray family were already campaigning for a Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody and joined in the National Day of Action on the 28th of September each year to highlight not only the death of 16-year-old John Pat but the killings of many young Aboriginal people at the hands of the authorities. Those national marches became known as the John Pat Memorial Rallies and were one of the powerful factors behind the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody being called... Ishter Melbourne invites you all to join us to remember John Pat on Friday, 27th December, 11am. It's crucial to commemorate the death's murders in custody of John Pat, Eddie Murray, TJ Hickey, Mark Mason, um, Veronica Baxter, Miss Dew, maranji Damaji, Mr Ward, Miss Dew, David Dungay, Tanya Day, Harrison Day, Eric Whittaker, Wayne Fuller Morrison, Patrick Fisher, Mr. King, Seth Carlton, and all families who have been denied any form of justice by this illegal regime delivering its state sanctioned genocide, overseen and condoned by state and federal governments. And I believe that this particular action is going to be at the old GPO in the city oh, yeah. yep. um, the old GPO in the city on Saturday and if anybody wants to um, see any further details uh, just google ISJA Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne but it was important to really talk about that background
4: yeah yeah that's true um, we'll just go to an announcement hey
0: yep six years <laughs>
3: Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria.
0: It's good to be here because uh Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much
4: brings us all together.
0: ...time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front
1: door to freedom beyond these walls. Make and sure and I just the
4: want the to say yes, to thank you to, laws, to all of laws, you for giving us the opportunity to morning, speak the on air.
1: The, reason, the bigger the
4: reason, the calling. Make mm-hmm. your commitment and watch things... And
3: cold. you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars.
0: But
4: also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like, it's it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We
0: can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family.
2: If you would like us to post you a free CD,
3: contact the station on 0394198377. And you're with FreeCR
4: 855 AM um, or www.freecr.org.au. I'm just going to put on In Control by Baker Boy.
0: It's not go it's not a bad thing kicking opening doors when you ever make it it's correct not an error So break through, come on they come, they go.
2: Time sh- you're back with the Doin' Time show. Going to be giving you just a little bit of an update about what's happening with the sacred trees. And listeners may recall that we have interviewed quite a few people about the trees. We've interviewed Lydia Thorpe. We've interviewed Mariki. We've also interviewed DT as well and campaigners and traditional owners. And there is an article that I was going to read out that's quite pertinent to this campaign and really shows up uh, some of the racism and racial profiling that arises as a result of these campaigns. The article is public knowledge. It's the Ararat Advertiser, and it's entitled Western Highway Duplication, Subcontractor Fired After Making Threats to Activists in Audio Recording. And... I'm going to start reading that now. A Western Highway subcontractor has been fired after audio surfaced of her making violent threats about Bunga duplication activists. In the recording posted on the Djub Wurong Heritage Protection Embassy Facebook page and YouTube channel, a woman is heard making violent, racially targeted and transphobic comments about the activists. "'We're not allowed to do anything physical. "'They've got to hit first, so we're just waiting. "'It's coming, and and then out comes the baton, "'and they're going to be sorry,' the woman said. "'Other comments in the recording include, "'And you've got a bloke there with long plaits with makeup on, "'in dresses, transvestites, and they're half white. "'We can get them off the land, not a problem, "'but, oh, you can't touch them.' Yeah, we've all done martial arts. They'll get a big shock. I wanted to go bang in his throat, this transvestite, because he was right in my face. I just pushed them back. It don't matter, I said. DJ Barong Heritage Protection Embassy say the recording was sent from a supporter. A Major Road Projects Victoria spokesperson confirmed the person in the recording was a worker at the site who had since been fired. An investigation has found that the person heard in the audio recording is a subcontractor working on the project. The subcontractor has been removed from the project, the spokesperson said. MRPV deplores the views expressed in the audio recording and we will not tolerate racism. The well-being and safety of the community, as well as staff contractors and subcontractors, is paramount. The ARA advertiser also asked what practices Vic Roads and Major Road Projects Victoria had in place to ensure professional standards were upheld by all employees and subcontractors. Works at the site were stopped last week, however, activists said the works resumed on Thursday. Activists marched through Melbourne in support of Dijabrong on country. Report makes recommendations regarding cultural heritage. Activists peacefully walk major road projects Victoria workers off campsite. Lawyer for the activist Michael Kennedy has called for the state government to establish a parliamentary inquiry into the works. In a letter to the Ararat advertiser, Mr Kennedy said an inquiry was justified because there was compelling evidence of a flawed institutional process from 2010 onwards with enormous losses associated with the delays since February 2017. These could have been avoided if Vic Roads and Major Road Projects Victoria was not so determined as an institution to control the process, he said. I recommend that taking guidance from the successful parliamentary inquiry into inter- institutional child abuse, only an independent parliamentary inquiry will enable the loss-bearing taxpaying public to be satisfied that a genuine reassessment will have the transparency and integrity which is essentially required. And I just wanted to read that out because it's, it's quite important. And it's, it really highlights not just the racism but also the ongoing problems that's happening with the sacred trees and it's so important to be able to look at ways to actually resolve it and looking at, as I've said so many times during this coverage, that it's important to look at, at, at cheaper options and other options so that the trees are not affected. It's approximately 4.44 and you're listening to the Doin' Time Show, sending out a cheerio to Madeline from NITV who's not well and I'm hoping that we can interview her presently as we continue to pay tribute to Auntie Tanya Day over the coming weeks. Uh,
4: We'll just go to an announcement.
2: A 3CR supporter. And we're now going to be reading out an article from the West Australian. And just before I get into that, um, I'll talk about that in a second. This is really important to be reading out articles because often what can happen is you've got people in detention and people in prison that actually don't have access to, you know, may not have access to the papers and not able to get access to media. So this is a very, very important part of the show to now and then do some literature reviews. And this article is entitled, Miss Jews grandmother, Carol Rowe, joins Geraldton protest over fatal shooting. And that was Wednesday, 18th September 2019. Police fly the Aboriginal pla- flag at half-mast in a show of sympathy for the loss of Joyce Clark as a woman involved in the protest holds a sign. Police fly the Aboriginal flag at half-mast in a show of sympathy. I'm really surprised at that. Um, <laughs> Did they? <I? laughs> that's what it says in the... In the in the paper. The grandmother of a Yamati woman who died in police custody has joined a protest over the alleged police shooting death of a woman in Geraldton last night. Carol Rowe, whose granddaughter, Miss Mistu, died from septicemia and pneumonia in August 2014, three days after she was locked up in South Hedland, said she was devastated to hear about the death of 29-year-old Joyce Clark. The circumstances leading to Ms Clark's death are under investigation as per standard protocol with an alleged police shooting. Ms Rowe is one of about a 100 people protesting outside Geraldton Police Station where officers lowered the Aboriginal flag in sympathy for the loss. I couldn't sleep, Ms Rowe said when she heard the news of yesterday's death. We all want justice and we want the police held accountable. Geraldton Police Station Officer-in-Charge Senior Sergeant Jackson Scragg briefly addressed the gathering and asked them to keep the protest peaceful. Others at the process described Ms Clark as a happy-go-lucky girl. Charmaine Paper Talk Green said she convened the protest because the community needs to know we're distressed. We're asking, where were the tasers? Where was the pepper spray? Where were the dogs? Why was a gun used, she said. Protesters have asked that the investigation into the fatal shooting not be carried out by police, but another investigative authority. They also claim mental health services for Aboriginal people are inadequate. Geraldton Regional Aboriginal Medical Service Chair Sandy Davies told the crowd the police investigating team had promised to give their report to Ms Clark's family before the coroner hands down a report. Mr. Davies, Ms Davies called on the crowd to show support for Ms Clark's family. During the address, a member of the crowd called out, this community is fractured. Meanwhile, WA Police Union President Harry Arnott said the WA Police Union was standing by members involved in this tragic incident. Our thoughts go out to the police officers involved and their families in this terrible circumstance, he said. So it's always good to read out media like this. And it is good that there was a quotation put in there in regards to police investigating police. Yeah,
4: that's it.
2: Now, in contrast, actually, as we go on with this this media review, NITV, I believe, um, I don't know, has a lot more information. Mm. Not a lot more information, but a lot more about the Aboriginal people. So a lawyer says system and protocols need to be investigated following shooting death of Aboriginal mother and that was indeed a quotation that Peter put in his pre-recorded interview when he interviewed Marianne McKay. The mother, an Aboriginal woman who was shot and killed by WA police, says she is devastated by her daughter's death. And there's not much else here actually. Oh, here we go. Um, A lawyer assisting the family of a 29-year-old woman fatally shot by police in a town in Western Australia on Tuesday night says there should be an independent investigation into the incident. Source, NITV News, 19th September 2019. A prominent human rights lawyer said the family of a 29-year-old Aboriginal mother who died after being shot by West Australian police on Tuesday night have a number of questions to ask about system and protocols that may have led to the incident. Principal solicitor of the National Justice Project, George Newhouse, told NITV's The Point on Wednesday that he has been asked to assist the family of woman, Yanamati woman Joyce Clark who was fatally shot by police after they were called out to a disturbance. Ms Clark sustained a gunshot wound to the stomach and was taken to Geraldton Regional Hospital but later died. Mr Newhouse also said it was important for there to be independent investigations so the community can t- continue to trust the police. If communities don't feel that sense of trust, they don't feel that they're treated appropriately and the poor relationship with the police will continue and more people may die, he said. Meanwhile, the family of Joyce Clark have called for calm in Geraldton, 800 kilometres northeast of Perth, after around 100 protesters demanding answers from outside the police station on Wednesday.
4: I think, um, sorry, are you still reading? Nearly
2: finished. Did you want to say something, Peter? Oh, I keep going. Protesters demand answers following police shooting in Gelatin. Protesters gather outside the Gelatin police station to demand answers about the fatal shooting of a 29-year-old yamate woman on Wednesday. And that was just a bit of an edited version because I mean, the, the rest of the article is, is pretty self-explanatory. Mm. It's approximately 4.51 and we're just about at the end of our show.
4: Yeah, in that article it just says that, um, what did it say about police have to trust you know, I mean should be an in independent investigation. Yeah,
2: there does there there to be an investigation.
4: Which is true, in police shouldn't investigate police but they have to look at their own it's 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 systemic as well. They have to look in at yeah. their behaviour. Like That's right. Marissa and I went to the um ten Days um inquest and their behaviour was not very compassionate towards the family and you know, just being, you know, they have to look at all those sort of things, not just the police investigating police. There's lots of things um, as well. Yeah, there are,
2: there are quite a few things, but um, I won't read the rest of the articles. We really don't have time. And, but, in fact, the article is similar in some ways towards going down, just for listeners', listeners reading experience, that this particular article is, is similar to the WA Um, the West Australian as well but I wanted to read out the information at the top because NITV does actually have excellent coverage and there was a lot more information about the death and and what happened and that's why I wanted to read that out because when when you're reading articles in mainstream media quite often there's not really all that much analysis and it's really important um, to, to have that analysis on the Do and Time show, so that people can see um, some of the inconsistencies with, um, with some of the media and what's going on. Yep. Should we go into an
4: announcement?
1: Um, yeah. Okay. 3CR are selling kaffiyeh Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. And you're, and you're back
2: with the Doin' Time show. And it's, now we're just about to say goodbye. We have about three minutes left of our show. Um, Beyond Zero is coming up next. And tune in every Monday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the Doin' Time show. And thank you so much to Marianne McKay and also to Karina Ford, our guests on the show today. Thanks yeah, so much. Thanks.
4: Okay. See Bye-bye. Everyone, see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours.
4: Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety.
2: In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT
0: program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA. But those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads and that's why we're urging an inquiry into
4: Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e